Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. Today, we're going to be talking all about professional development itself and what makes great professional development and how we can certainly have a whole bunch of stuff going on. Our co-hosts today are Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you today? Welcome to the show. I'm phenomenal. I think I'm finally not sick anymore. That is fantastic. Uh, how is everything going over on mypaperlessclassroom.com? Really amazing. We've got a post in the works talking about literacy and coding. And I have to figure out how I'm going to share about all of this apron making I've been doing. And tell me about this apron making real quick. Well, the second graders have a PBL we're doing, and I want them to learn sewing, and I want them to think about social justice. So we're doing this thing called Made for Equity, and we've got a Twitter account, Etsy for Equity, and they're making aprons out of old tote bags, and we're going to sell those. The great state of Massachusetts, I want to bring on Jennifer Judkins. Jen, how are you tonight? Great. I'm like checking out this Etsy for Equity page that used to our Twitter stream. Sam, that's a great idea. Right. And the kids uh, made the graphics on the first day. And once we get some aprons made, we'll be able to have like a station set up where they're going to create listings. The first apron they make, they get to take home. The rest go on the website. We sell them. We give the money to groups that support equity and social justice. It's a great idea. Love it. That is pretty cool. Jen, how's everything on teachingforward.net? Um, very quiet because I started a new job and have not been blogging, but I had a, I had a fantastic um, Saturday running. Uh, I helped to run uh, EdCamp North Shore here. This is our second EdCamp um, in the same location in Massachusetts, and we had about 120 teachers from over 50 schools show up, so it was a great day. That is pretty awesome. Josh, how are you tonight? Josh is doing just fine, Jeff. And tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods. Uh, we are in week three of school and uh, excited to try out our first Desmos lesson this year in algebra. Uh, so I'm excited to see how that's going to go. I got to witness a lot of uh, good stuff with Desmos last year. Of course, we had a great conversation with Dan Meyer about this time uh, last year on the Tech Educator podcast about Desmos. Um, so it's an awesome modeling tool, graphing calculator, um, a lot of great activities in there for students as they learn a new mathematical concepts. And we're, we're trying it on Thursday, so I'm pretty excited. It's kind of like my first thing I'm planning as a part of this co-teaching thing I'm doing. Nice. Rob, how are you tonight? I am doing wonderfully. And I understand that you had a victory this weekend. We did. Tell us about it. We did. We were, we were able to pull out a victory, our first of the year. He's talking about um, the fact that I'm coaching football this year. So it's uh, my son's team, sixth grade, and we're now one and three. So it's, uh, it was a good victory. Nice. So tonight we're talking all about professional learning. Of course, we are live here on the Tech Educator Podcast as we are every single Tuesday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern on TeacherCast.tv. There's, of course, several great ways that you can be a part of this and all of our shows. You can find us online on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Email us at feedback at teachercast.net. And of course, subscribe to this and all of our shows over on teachercast.net slash audio and teachercast.net slash video. Now, I got to tell you, today I went to a fantastic workshop and today we were talking all about what makes great professional development and how to provide professional development for adults versus 
giving a lesson to our students. And the first thing that we talked about today was the question of what is the difference between professional development and professional learning? Is there a difference, guys? One is done to you, and one is one you do. What do you mean? It is like, well, professional development is generally done to you, and professional learning is something where you have a lot more agency. Like, you go to a professional development to be professionally developed. You are the object of that entire experience, usually typified by a one-to-many lecture format. Whereas professional learning, you are the subject who is doing the learning. And that usually, in my mind, is a much more varied approach. What do you guys think? Uh, Sam kind of came close to where we were today. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for this. Jen, what do you think? There actually is. It's grammar, Jeff. You, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Are you setting up everything today? I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, we like to pretend that we live in a world of infinite possibilities where everything is a little bit right and everything is a little bit wrong, but that's just not the case. I mean, we could argue about the Oxford comma if you want something that's pretending to have some flexibility in it. But, you know, professional development and professional learning, there's, it's, there's, I'm sorry. I'll be quiet now. And what do you think? I think Sam said it very well. All prior to the the grammar arguments, I was in total agreement with where he was coming from. And then after that, it was just amusing. <laughs> Rob, as somebody who is in, in the administrator role right now, what do you see? Do you do you encourage your teachers to get professional development, or do you? In- do you encourage your teachers to be professional learners? Well, for me, it's, you know, I agree completely with Sam. It is development is something that is done to teachers. It's not, there is, they have no agency in that process. I I really want my teachers to take ownership of their learning. Uh, This summer we had five teachers at our school who went and became Google level one certified. That to me was more professional learning. The door was there, they took it, it wasn't something they chose to go. There is a difference between pedagogy and andragogy. You know, when we're working with adults, that idea that they have to really um, have the choice to um, to choose things that really excite them. And I think that that's one of the big differences is giving them that opportunity. So when we're looking as tech coaches and we are looking as principals or or higher level administrators, and we're looking at finding the topics that are right for our staff, generally we have two different options. We have the options that have to happen. You you have to take these courses. You have to get, get these kinds of trainings. And then there's the optional trainings. What have you guys found is the difference between creating a course as a trainer for something that teachers have to get and creating a course that teachers might elect to get? Is there a difference in creating your courses based off of what the topic is? 
I think find that um, when I talk with, because um, I do a lot of training um, as a consultant with other districts, and then of course in my own district, and I have found that it's not uncommon for administrators to say, well, these are the things we want the, the workshop to be about because we, you know, this is what we want teachers to learn. And, and I find that um, that's good information, but it needs to be the, the workshop idea needs to focus around things that matter to teachers. And then those, those pieces can be embedded in the learning. And I, I think you can still accomplish the goals that you might set for, okay, we're looking for teachers to have, you know, a similar basis of knowledge around certain tools, but it's not the kind of thing that will bring them into a class. So I think it's, it, it can't be underemphasized the importance of, you know, making sure that it sounds like it has application into their classrooms and that, um, and that the, the workshop is, um, you know, focused around things that matter to them and that even things like the title and the description sound interesting because I think whenever we force teachers to learn things that they're coming in already feeling annoyed about, about being there and we're not going to make any progress in those kinds of formats. Sam, how do you feel? I, I know you create PD for your school or, or have created PD for your schools. Is there a difference between creating something for adults that they have to do, something for adults that they want to do? And how does that differ from what you work with with students? Because there are some lessons you have to do. And there's some lessons like, hey, let's make an apron, and that might be something fun. Well, I think that really with my kids and any adult sessions I lead, I'm always trying to find a way to get them doing something active that can serve as a basis for the conversation we're having. So, you know, it's important to build a lot of choice points in, even if it's required. But there's some stuff like my school has gone to online trainings for a bunch of stuff because frankly, it's really, really dull. And there is an online training available and everybody just has to be familiar with certain policies. So they make you watch them all together and they time you and you do that. And that's okay, but I'd never do that to my kids. I, I hate that option. It's something that I've sat through perfect example is getting ready for testing. You're supposed to watch some videos to make sure you know what's going on. And I just, I don't know why we grab our teachers. We shove them into a room and then we say, okay, we're going to all watch this video and then we can check it off. Well, you know, we, we've gotten that skill, right? And you can say about adults, well, you have the skill of sitting still and being bored and paying attention and making notes and learning a thing. So we want you to exercise that skill now. Whereas with our students, we do a lot more work to think, well, how can I get you to really internalize this concept by putting you through an experience that prepares your mind to do something with this information, right? Because some of the trainings I receive, I'm not even convinced. I'm not convinced that anybody but an insurance company has an investment in me completing that training. Josh, <laughs> uh. you're quiet. As somebody who is also a tech coach and you give a lot of training, uh, sometimes in our departments, we are told, please go work with these teachers and train them on this. And Sometimes they say, hey, I'll give you two hours at a PD day. What would you like to do? 
which do you prefer and do you do you plan things any differently depending on if it's mandated or if it's voluntary i think there's a huge difference between mandated and voluntary um yeah i wasn't really talking because i'm just kind of stuck on the semantics of professional development versus professional learning uh coming into the conversation i would have told you that i figured they were the same thing um and i think that's probably not the point we want to argue over i think more more the issue like you're talking about is how do we take professional development from what we commonly think it is as this all the teachers go and learn this thing to a more personalized model so when you talk about which would i rather have of the situations you just talked about um i'm fortunate at my job that i've really never been told that i have to go work with certain teachers on something um, so that's been nice um, it's really been totally optional up to me who I go pursue. Obviously, I'm trying to get to everybody, but um, I've never been told nobody's been put in that position where they have to be trained by me. Uh, but training is totally different than professional development um, in that uh, professional development is really about that that learning in the classroom and and how can we use this and and building uh, that that pedagogy and that curriculum versus training like how do you use this particular tool uh, kind of thing. Um, so I would much prefer the the optional. It's it's a totally different thing. I, I probably stress about it less, um, and I try and provide a lot of pathways. And for me, it's it's a lot more freeing because if I'm forced to, then I'm a lot more concerned about dotting all the T's and the whatnot, whereas I'd rather just have an opportunity to have a good conversation. I don't know if that answered your question. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think what we can tell is that as we're going through here, there are going to be some times where we have to train and, and, you know, we're told what to do. And sometimes teachers have to learn. I know for many school districts right now, we're going through those mandated courses on the bloodborne pathogens and, and harassment and bullying and all those things that, as Sam just mentioned, you kind of have to go through and check off. Sam, have you ever needed to create an online course? And if so, is that any different taking it or giving it than it is if you were to do it in a group situation with other people around? You know, it's been a long time since I created online content, but it's definitely different. And it really depends on what you're trying to do, right? If I was creating an online course to help inspire teachers to make great videos, that's one thing. But if we're talking about a training topic that is you know mandated one way or another and we need accountability measures then you have to bring in some different mechanisms and i know there's kind of new platforms for that all the time so if i was going to create any of those now i'd really want to look into some of the more advanced platforms that are out there for building those and having some sort of accountability in place i think it would take more than just a google form now, Jen, in your position, are you in charge of professional development or do you work with the professional development givers? So there is a, we have a separate, uh, an actual position in our district now that I'm in a much larger district that um, coordinates professional development and runs, there's a huge professional development program in my new, in my new district of Lexington. They have um, a really amazing program that is mostly homegrown. So a lot of my staff and myself included provide professional development through that, um, but it's coordinated um, by, a, we have a, a dedicated position, but I work very closely with them because there's a lot of technology related professional development needs that we're trying to meet for the teachers in the district. One of the topics that we hit today was the 
conversation around what do you do if you're trying to create a professional development session and you find that one teacher that just doesn't want to be there or puts up a fight or walks in and says, hey, you know everything, teach me something and really puts up that stonewall, you know, prove to me why you're awesome kind of a thing. What, what have you guys done with teachers like that? When, when you just know that that teacher is not, going, not wanting to be there, going to put up a problem, and you have to get through the next two or three hours worth of content. How do you, how do you handle colleagues that aren't being as professional as they need to be? Uh, so I can speak to that a little bit. I the, Usually I address it head on, Jeff, because I feel like um, one of the things that needs to happen is I, I think there needs to be an acknowledgement that people are in different levels in the room. And so I try to say very early on, like, listen, we're all professionals here. I'm going to assume that you're using your time in the best way possible for you. And so as I float around the room and we're talking through things and you're trying things out, you're going to be where you need to be and i'm moving about the room just to make sure that no one's getting lost and that sort of thing um so if someone is you know if i'm covering a topic that someone's comfortable with and and that someone in the room wants to check their email i'm there's no judgment and i'm not i'm not looking to catch them in the act of doing the wrong thing and and that usually helps to kind of um bring the temperature down in the room when people feel like well i was told to come here and i feel like i know some of this stuff um, and people very quickly realize that I, I, you know, I think that you can you can address multiple levels of learners in the room in a lot of different ways, and I and I try to do that in any PD that I offer. And so usually people will um, leave a session saying, "Gee, I thought I didn't have anything to learn, but you really pointed out a lot of things that were new to me." Um, so I think that's one of the things is acknowledging that people are at different levels, and that that the professionals in the room will use their time in a way that's best suited for them can be one strategy that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Rob, what have you come across? Because, uh, I mean, as a new assistant principal, as, as a former tech coach, have you had those situations where, you, you, you know, your whole job in that two-hour session is to make everybody in the room happy, but internally, you're really trying to win over that one person? But I'm really not. I, because that person has the choice when they're forced to come to participate, to engage. And if it's not something that they are going to participate and in, in engage in, I'm really focused on the other 30 people that are there that are focusing and engaging um, in the conversation. Now, by doing that, sometimes they do come around and they participate. Um, they do get involved, but I'm not, not going to worry if you're checking your email, if you're doing, because we can't control an adult. They, you know, we're going to try and get them involved, but in the, at the end of the day, my, my job is to support as that feel that they're going to get something out of it. If I talk about something and that teacher goes into that, um, session with the idea that this isn't for them, they're not going to get anything out of it. Yeah, I might, you know, I might hope that they would get something out of it, but I have another 30 teachers in the room that I'm really like, that they're engaged, they're, um, they're wanting to get something out of that. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm, I'm not gonna let one person determine the outcome. 
I like all the ideas here. I want to I want to bring up another topic that we hit today, and that's the idea of preparing and things that you bring with you. You know, it is 2017, almost 2018 here. When you guys present or when you guys put together your presentations, big group, small group, I'm assuming that everybody here provides things in digital form, whether it be your handouts, whether it be worksheets, whether it be whatever. Um, is there a need to be printing out papers or printing out folders for people as they walk in? Do you have stuff like that ready just in case they need it? Um, what is the what is your your opinion on creating all these manipulatives or worksheets or you know just packets of information that you're going to use? Should we be having it in our hands? Should we be having it in our on our computers? So well, it totally well, ahead, depends on on the situation. I mean, it, it's really what what it calls for. I think in the realm that most of us are involved in, we're doing professional development, professional learning, whatever you want to call it around technology tools that are going to be utilizing technology. So in that case, I don't provide a lot of printed stuff because a link can be updated. It can be shared much more easily. Uh, and who needs more printed stuff? Um, now, there are cases where that's that's good and, and, and nice to have that. I've never run, trying to think now, I don't want to say something that's not true, but I don't really think I've ever really run a workshop in which I've given a handout to people. So um, that to me is kind of a very minor thing. I always have resources. I think even when I don't even spend much time in a slideshow, I still put together one with screenshots and things like that. So it goes through everything that I'm demoing if I'm going through like how to set up Emerge with Autocrat. Um, I'll have a slideshow that goes with that. But if I'm doing a session, I'm going through that live with people. I'm not thumbing through the, through the screenshots. We're, we're digging right in. Josh, do you make up one slide deck to give out to everybody? I, I know for myself, sometimes I'll make up a slide deck for my presentation, and then I'll make up a slide deck maybe with even double the slides that has all the inner talking points, all the inner links that I might go through, but I don't want to be flipping through that on the board during a presentation. Uh, it's always been just one for me because that's about as much as I can handle. Um, I'm... I'm super impatient and a huge procrastinator, so there's no way I'd be getting to get two done. <laughs> Sam, what about you? What's your philosophy? And and obviously, when you do your presenting, you bring props, you bring a puppet, you bring cloth, you bring stuff. How right. much? I last digitized? over the over the summer, I gave a, a keynote address at the International Literacy Association. And it was about my journey teaching and finding fun in the classroom. And as and they wanted the slide deck a week ahead of time. And it was really jarring for me to like deliver a slide deck a week ahead of time. And I didn't when I gave him the slide deck, I, I gave it to him and I thought, you know, I, I really hate my presentation. And in between the time that I gave them the slide deck and I got there, I rewrote everything but kept the same slide deck. I had, I went from having um, just a standard guy on a stage talking setup to having seven different puppets I was interacting with doing all of this much more complex than I ever would have guessed. Quick change stuff with my hands on screen on stage as I was talking and there wasn't even a podium. Um, so, 
you know, I've, I've worked in a lot of different situations, Jeff. I've done presentations that I make up the day of. Most recently with my school, we've been doing um, some very produced presentations about design thinking with puppets. And we had an eight-page color handout with like a puppet pattern in the middle of the handout. It was like 11 by 17 that we actually had professionally printed and whatnot. Um, and that was more than I'd ever done. But when my school was like, oh, you're going to South by Southwest, let's do it this way. I said, okay. But I've seen your slides, Sam. Sometimes they are rather minimal. If I get yeah. one of your presentations and I wanted to learn more, do you always have a website or an Evernote doc or something that you can always give out or you provide? The yeah. yeah, there's always a resource website. Like even for that one with the eight page handout, there is a website that had, um, I think, 12 different videos and three different web page links on it. And we just put that together on a URL for whatever it is. You know, we'll use Bitly or attach it to the school web page or something like that. Jen, what do you think? Because I know you do a lot of presenting for yourself. You do it for your school. Do you treat each of those situations the same? Or do you have different things that you might do for your school teachers versus teaching at an ISTE or at a larger conference? So in every conference that I do, I create a Google Doc that typically is packed with um, hyperlinks and other things. So it's, it become, it's the jumping off point to all the resources associated for that session. So I put a, I have a really, you know, specific format that I follow. I have a template that I just copy each time and I have the short link at the top. And then I have like typically, I might even have the schedule of the day if it's a whole day thing or I kind of break things out by section. And then we were talking earlier about like slideshows or, or printing things. I don't do slideshows typically for workshops because it's a very hands-on kind of situation, but for a conference presentation, I would almost always have a slideshow because I like to plan for all possible scenarios, including screenshots if the wireless goes down for something like that. Um, I actually do sometimes print paper versions of things, and it really depends on the audience that I know I'm going to be doing a training with. So I find that beginner audiences and people that are like in um, administrative assistant roles, for example, they tend to really like to have a piece of paper to make notes to themselves on. And that's why whenever I do a, a that Google Doc, I always have the short link posted at the very top of the document. So they can always, if they're looking at the paper, they can always type in the link, you know, and, and get back to the digital version. And I explain to them, as, as we've pointed out in this conversation, that the digital version of the document is always going to have the most information and be the most recent. You know, Jen brings up a point, and this is something that happened over the weekend at a conference I was at. You get to the conference, you get into your room, and then you find out that there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, Sam, obviously, for your presentations, you just bring out the puppets and you just turn it into a hands-on workshop. But yeah. how, how far do we go down the, 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 the rabbit hole? Um, Google Docs, Google Slides obviously has an offline version. Sometimes, at least in the case of this weekend, no Wi-Fi and you're on a machine that is part of the school. And it's already, you know, like you, you can't put your own machine there. Sometimes you're stuck. What experience have you guys had with, uh-oh, the Wi-Fi is broken, but I have to perform? So 
couple years ago, I presented at a conference called Ties in Minnesota. And great conference, uh, very busy, lots of people in a small space. And whenever you have that many people in a little space, uh, you uh, invariably run into Wi-Fi issues. No matter how much effort they put into it, it just always happens. Like, I've never known it not to happen. ISTE is another one that, uh, you know, I had a workshop with 150 people that we were doing. And, yeah, the Wi-Fi was, was rough. But, you know, what I've noticed about those two instances, which I find just absolutely incredible, is that I personally, just because people struggled so much to get in, things took forever to load, that that they went really poorly. Like I didn't like how they went. They didn't feel good. People couldn't get in. Um, and, you know, we just kind of show must go on. I tell people kind of where we're going with it. And, you know, at the end, I walk through it all and bring it all together and do a little more of that than I normally do in a session because um, this typically happened. This happened in uh, really interactive sessions where I'm not doing a lot of presenting from the front. Uh, but there were so many people who went and took and, and did that activity from the sessions, more so from that than I've heard at any other set time I've done it. Um, so to me, it was kind of interesting that when I felt it went poorly and the Wi-Fi wasn't working, it almost that was the time that people really liked it they or didn't like it but saw the value and and took it and, and ran with it which which is really interesting so i don't know i've had it happen it's not fun um i've never personally lost my wi-fi uh so that would be a different story but um i've had sessions where the participants can't get in um you know and it's rough and we soldier on and we ad lib and we we figure it out as we go peggy peggy in our chat box brings up the conversation of one time at a presentation, she had to download something in order to start the hands-on workshop, and then the Wi-Fi went down, and it took her 30 minutes to download something. Hmm. You kind of always have to be prepared for this. I don't know if that means showing up to a presentation with a bunch of thumb drives just as a backup, backup, backup plan, but sometimes when you're working on a two- or three-hour hands-on workshop and there's no Wi-Fi, you got to do something, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Jeff. Um, I've always just taken my presentation, thrown it on a flash drive as a what if worst case scenario, just because it can happen. I mean, I know it's a little bit, it's rarer now, but even at a big conference, you never know if the Wi-Fi is going to go. As far as working with my teachers, I do have them use a lot of digital because I want them to get more proficient with it. So I'm intentional to have them go to their Google Drive and have them use folders and have them use different things. But at the same time, I have many practitioners that still love a cheat sheet. So it's it's something that you have to, you, you really, if you know, when working with your staff, you have to know the people you're working with. At a conference, it's a little different, I think. How so? Um, I think that many times, not always, there is a different level of proficiency that you, you know could be coming in the room. So you plan for, well, if I have this group of people coming in, this is where it could go. And, and if I don't, if I have a group that's, I, I always say it's like a, a scale and everybody's on the scale but you're either at the lower end at the middle end the higher end and you have to as a presenter gauge where is the room and where can you go 
Does that make sense? It does. It does. Especially when you're looking at this, you know, I, I think one of the big things about it being a presenter is knowing how to size up your room, whether that be your peers in your school district or an ISTE crowd or an ed camp crowd, or even people that you know, and look, your session could be dying. It's time to take a break. It's time to move on. It's time to make a left turn. Um, we of course want to know what you guys are doing. We are looking over here on the chat box and uh, Peggy's got some great ideas. And I see Katie just signed up. Uh, let's see. Katie's mentioning that in her training, she did not get paper trainings and everything was a digital resource. I absolutely love that. Uh, Jen, let me ask you, because I know you make up a lot of digital resources. Is there a difference between making up a slides resource versus a docs resource or even putting everything on a Google site or something to that, like a, a website type thing? Do you, do you see any difference or any value in doing one versus the other or is it just personal preference? It's probably personal preference. I prefer to use Google Docs typically, and then I link those on a site. Like, so I, I don't make a bunch of different sites. I have my site that I blog on, and then I have resources there. And when it's something that um, is a, a conference, I typically will have like a sub page off of the website where I link all of those conference um, resources but it always is a it's always a google document and then if i have a presentation that goes with that i'll link it from you know i'll have the a hyperlink on that google document and i just feel like google docs is a little easier for most people to look through instead of tabbing through all these slides looking for the thing that you're you're trying to see and um and that i typically put in links to tutorial videos or cheat sheets or other things because I think that, like Rob said, you know, everyone's going to learn a little bit differently. So some teachers have different preferences for if they want cheat sheets or videos or something that is a something they can print and look at next to their computer. So I, I try to have different formats av available when I can. So I thought before leaving here, we could do a quick game. And uh, how many of you guys have ever had sleepovers at night and played the game Never Have I Ever? Oh, I, I'm, ha I'm foggy on the rules, Jeff. I'm going to need a refresher. So, so one of the things that we ended up with this is we, we had a, a, a discussion on a, a, a actually it's a pretty good article here uh, written a few years ago called Never, The Never Evers of Workshop Facilitation. And we kind of went around the room with the never have I ever. And we kind of realized that some of the things on the list we've done and some of the things on the list we haven't done. So for instance here, um, Never have I ever shared resources that were illegible from the back of the room. You guys ever put out something on, 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 your, on a PowerPoint slide or whatever that you, you just know that people couldn't see, but you did it anyway? Oh, I'm sure. Uh, probably, but not intentionally. I think visible is often uh relative i mean of course it's relative to a person's eyesight and how big the room is and how big your projector screen is that's a lot of caveats um i will say that i'm sure somewhere down the line uh, in the dozens of presentations i've done i probably made some pretty terrible slides so i'm i can't really say never have i ever done that how about never have i ever gone past my scheduled time of ending my, my scheduled ending time you know, I, I, I'm sure that I've done that at some point, but I never did it after the first time, <laughs> especially with my own staff, right? Like, 
unless they asked me to and they were like look can you just keep going because you know i i you know there's certain practices i have now that i know i came to by way of not doing it right the first time and one of those is we start you know if the training starts at three we start at three and if it goes till 350 we go you know we end by 350 if not before and anytime I can end before, I make sure that they realize that we're ending a little bit early because we worked well and we met our goals. So thank you. You know, so they're really, you know, anytime you give a training, you're building the community that you're training, right? So, and I think this is kind of what I come back to from our first question, whether it's, you know, professional development or professional learning, right? Are you doing this training to people or are you building an experience for them to enjoy with you? as the person in charge of that you're always building a community you either have a choice of be of building a community of allies who are empowered in the process or building a community of what's the opposite of ally enemy ooh yeah building a community of enemies who hate to see you coming because they know you're going to waste their time yeah. all right we'll do we'll do two more of these never have i ever told participants what i've forgotten Meaning, meaning like, I, I, I wish I put that slide in or, hey, I had some handouts, but I didn't have them with me. Or, you know, I, I wish I would have brought that extra 20 bucks for you guys. I wish my partner was here. They're a lot smarter. <laughs> Sorry, I left Waka at home. <laughs> I brought the blue puppet instead. Yeah, I was going to have a a little breakout box activity as a part of a session. And I left that at home. So that was fun. I was going to, but did you tell them about it? Did you like take up their time to make sure they understood that you had failed them? <laughs> I am unfortunately the most open book ever. So everybody knows. Right. Right. Well, you can be an open, there's a difference between being an open book and like reading it to people. Right. Sorry like, guys. We're going to do this great activity today. Fine. Right. I am an open pop-up book. <laughs> or, or my favorite one, which is the, you know, on the way over here, I was going to stop and get a box, like a bag of Snickers bars, but they melted in my car. Sorry. Or, I, or I, I ate them on the way. I ate them on the way. Right. right. So, I ate them on the way is just honest. I mean, that's fine. Right. But again, you don't need to know. Like, you don't need to spend the time telling them that. They look up. They're like, oh, great. He's late. He's showing up late with coffee and there's chocolate all over his face. <laughs> this idiot's been out getting coffee and candy before the session, and there's none for us. Jen, you're, you're quiet on, on some of these. <laughs> I, well, I mean, <laughs> All right, I, 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 what can I say? I'm sure I, I definitely have, have dropped the ball on the time thing. I get so into what I'm doing, and I don't always notice. Um, but I... As far as telling people if I forgot something, I don't, I'm trying to, that I'm not sure about. I'm sure that I have. I just can't think of a specific time, but I, you know, when you do enough training, you're, you're going to, you're going to do all of these things at one point or the other. I think that um, I spend a lot of time trying to be thoughtful of all these things and plan for all contingencies. So I'd like to think that most often I'm, I'm hitting, you know, my, my goals of having the, the stuff ready and being organized for people but it, but honestly is there anything more difficult than trying to train a room full of teachers right you're trying yeah. to make sure that you've oh, got right. everything they need to learn and everybody in the room 
is a professional at making sure that everybody in the room has everything they need to learn. So you can pretend that they're not judging you, but you know <laughs> that they're sitting there going, oh my God, if I was doing this, it would be so much better because of X, Y, and Z. And they're probably right, at least in my sessions. I, well, Sam, to answer your question, the only thing more difficult than that is potty training triplets. Uh, all right, I got one more for you guys here, and, and I, and I want to go down the road because I know you guys have all done this once or twice. Uh, never have I ever given my participants something to read and then read it straight to them. Ha. I haven't done that in a long time, but I've done it. I think we've all done that as, as, as new presenters or new teachers. Yeah. It's really hard not to, if you put a bunch of words on the screen, it's hard not to read them. It doesn't matter if you're the presenter or the, you know, audience, you're going to read whatever's on the screen which is why there are so many great presentations now that have almost no words on their mm -hmm. screen. Right. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think in there somewhere is the um, putting a slide up that has 25, 35 words and you leave it up there for one second and then, then you know, you cut it off. Right, or, or like a long, you, my favorite is, you know, putting up the slide with the URL and then going ahead with it and just not even. Right, and then you know people are either writing it down or trying to read it or, or my, out their phone to, to try to capture it and you just go right ahead and right. don't let them do it. Yeah. Or especially, and this happened uh, over the, not at the thing today, but over the weekend, it was the, I'm going to put a cartoon up only long enough for you to realize that there's something funny on it. And then I'm going to change the slide. <laughs> nice. So a lot of good stuff here. Uh, we've of course been talking about leadership and educational leadership over the last month or so. One talking about how to be a good tech coach, how to be an educational leader, how to make the transition. And today we're ending with how to create good professional development for your staff or for your conference. Um, we are going to be putting all these together into one long blog post that has everything kind of put together here. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to check out the other shows, uh, please take a moment to head on over to TeacherCast and do. If you have uh, any questions about any of these topics, I'm sure we would be able to answer them. I want to say thank you to everybody out there on our chat box over on TeacherCast.tv. Uh, let's go around the room and tell us how we can find you guys and what is uh, exciting you these days as we head into October. Uh, Jennifer, what is going on and, and when can we expect to see some great, amazing things happening over at, at uh, um, teachingforward.net? Yes, I almost forgot what it is called too, Jeff, because I haven't been there myself <laughs> in about four weeks because I have this new job that's consuming all my time, but I really love my new job and the, the people that I'm working with. Um, I was working on a blog post and trying to generate some infographics um, to share out about why ed camps are such a great place for teachers to learn together. So I think that's coming up because I need to I need to refresh the front page. So I will I will have that coming up soon. What do you make your infographics on? Um, I was checking out a couple options, but I'll probably do, I like Canva, so I might just use that. But I was checking out I was playing around with Infogram also. Nice, Josh. How about yourself? Uh, let's see here. Um, we have a nice little trip to Seattle coming up at the end of the month. I'll be presenting at a um, Apps Events Google Summit out there, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'll get a chance to talk about Googly stuff. I'll also get a chance to talk about TEDx. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to share those things with some Washington educators. 
Justin, the uh, the TEDx program, did that open up its doors again over the summertime or did that not happen? I might have missed it. Are you talking about the TEDx innovative or yeah. TED innovative educator thing? Yeah. Did I miss that? Did that uh, I didn't see anything about that. Um, okay. They only did two cohorts of that that I remember, two, maybe three. Um, but I haven't seen anything recently about that. Thankfully, you don't have to be one of those to do a TEDx event. You just have to be willing to do a TEDx event to do one. Rob, how can we find you? On the gridiron or off? <laughs> Rob Pennington 9 at Twitter. And one of the things that has been exciting me lately is uh, we've really been starting to look at, we have some data that shows, you know, talks about the digital divide and how we're trying to come up with some creative ideas to close that and to support uh, our population without internet at home. So that's something that we're really looking into as a district and as a school. I think it's uh, great work and it's it's going to be fascinating. And Sam, I, I've been seeing these aprons. I've been hearing about these aprons. When are we going to be doing the apron podcast? You know, I, I think it's going to be pretty soon because frankly, they're, they're awesome and they solve like real problems in teachers' lives. What's going to happen... The, the second graders are almost through their first round of sewing. Now, I, I want you to imagine I have 22 second graders and four sewing machines. Uh-oh. And they all have their own individual seam rippers. So they're ripping apart these tote bags. Thank goodness I have like three other co-teachers that I can pull in. Because literally, while I'm training about four of them at a time on the sewing machines, they're teaching everybody else something else. And we're doing it in rotations. And once they've got the skill, it can become a station. So I'm still learning a lot about creating a workshop classroom and helping young kids get good technical skills. So it's a great learning curve for me. But I'm thinking sometime in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have teachers visit our classroom and talk about what they need in an apron to help inform the second round of building with the kids in Barcon. That sounds like a pretty fantastic project that you're working on. And uh, also want to share that we have another project that Sam and I have been working on. We are doing our TeacherCast Best in Class program. Uh, we've Best had in class! Of, bunch, of, bunch of ed tech companies over the summertime. We, we had a chance to uh, check out their great products, and we have a brand-new TeacherCast certification. Uh, we're going to be putting all those together this week, Sam, and putting it out uh, hopefully early next week. A uh, big blog post on some of the great STEM technology that is out there. So check that out over at net. Next week, we are back here live on uh, Tuesday, September 26th. We're going to be talking all about team drives versus everything else. Jen, this was a topic that you had suggested. Um, have you had a chance to look at team drives and all the great things they can do for a, uh, a, a school district or classroom department? Yes, we have been using them in my new district, and I'd love to have a conversation with others and hear more about uh, pluses and minuses for team drives, because I think that it's worth a conversation about when they work well and when maybe it might be better to use a standard shared Google Drive folder. So it'd be, I think it'd be a good conversation. Do you have a cheat sheet on this yet? Jeff, I am barely sleeping right now. There is no cheat sheet in the works. Well... I mean, come on here. I know. I'm going to disappoint you, but it's... Well, it's a great opportunity for any of our listeners to yes. contribute their own. Google Drive. Teams, there you go. Team drive oh. for TC. This is why I can't even host, guys. <laughs>
and Sam, I mean, I see the mouth moving. So, I mean, they just get, get the hand going at the same time here. Right. Ugh. All right. That wraps up this episode of the Tech Educator Podcast. There's, of course, several great ways that you can reach out and be a part of this and all of our shows. We, of course, want to thank our audience live on TeacherCast.tv. They're following us also on Twitter at TeacherCast, leaving a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail, emailing us at feedback at TeacherCast.net. And, of course, you can subscribe to this and all of our shows at TeacherCast.net slash iTunes and TeacherCast.net slash YouTube. On behalf of everybody here on the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.